wow, that was amazing. What you don't know, what they didn't say is our team just wrote that song this week about Psalm 103. What a blessing. What an incredible blessing. Thank you guys so much. I know they're not here, but I hope you can hear me. Um, in 1929, this man, James Doolittle, General James Doolittle, you can call him Jimmy, accomplished one of the biggest breakthroughs in modern aviation. He became the very first man to fly a plane blind, using nothing but his instruments, and by doing so, proving his insanity, right? Let's show the instruments. This is all he could see. You know those bi-wing planes? He had basically built these gauges in his garage, put them inside of a plane, blinded himself, took off, flew around a little bit, and landed it without dying in 1929. That is an incredible discovery. Let me read with you a description of the importance of Doolittle's discovery. As aircrafts became faster and more maneuverable, pilots could become seriously disoriented without visual cues from outside the cockpit. Because the aircraft could do moves and, and move in ways that the pilot's senses could not accurately decipher. Doolittle was the first to recognize the limitations of human senses, particularly the motion sense inputs. Think up, down, left, right. His research resulted in programs that trained pilots to read and understand navigational instruments, and a pilot learned to trust his instruments, not his senses. As the visual cues and his motion sense inputs, what he sensed and what he felt, were often incorrect and unreliable. For a pilot to learn how to trust your instruments is an incredibly critical skill because our ability to, to feel it, the pilot's ability to feel it in an airplane is really limited to clear skies and a predictable flight. But feeling it is not enough when darkness comes. Feeling it is not enough when the cloud sets in. Feeling it is not enough when the storm comes, when something goes wrong, or when we become disoriented. I'm afraid that our culture has reverted to navigating our lives as pilots who merely feel it instead of trusting time-tested flight instruments of biblical truth. Sometimes, as a follower of Jesus, we can have seasons where we just feel it, where our head and our heart, our actions all seem in the flow of what God is doing, and, and we can just go with it. But the problem is that life can be very disorienting, can it? We live in a world filled with, with storms of, of broken relationships, suffering, loss, oppression, injustice, selfishness, lies, deceit, just to name a few. And when we get caught up in these storms, our, our minds, our hearts, our actions all begin to send us different signals, mixed signals, and it can seem like an unattainable feat to find the horizon again and to steady our flight. Without using biblical truth as our flight instruments to show us the way when things get cloudy, we will quickly lose our sense of direction. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says it this way, We must live by faith, not sight. In other words, we must train ourselves to fly with the instruments of truth 
even when, especially when we're not feeling it and when our natural senses might lead us astray. We're going to see this reality in motion today in Psalm 103. It's one of the few places in Scripture where the writer David is not talking to God and he's not talking to other people. He's actually talking to himself. And he's reminding himself to use his instruments. So open with me again to Psalm 103. Hopefully your finger's still there. And let's listen on, as, on David as he reminds himself to fly with his instruments. First two verses, one and two. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not his benefits. Now, it might be so obvious in this text that you could have missed it. But what's implied here is very important. David is saying that his soul, the inmost being, the inmost part of who he is, is currently not praising the Lord. And that's what he's seeking by praying this prayer. Or to put it in more modern terms, it's fair to say that David isn't feeling it right now. And in this psalm, he's recognizing that his very own soul, his core of his being, his heart, has become disoriented. And it's not living in accordance with what he knows to be true. He's forgotten. He's lost touch. It's, it's drifted away from the center of his life. And here we find David not following his heart, but coaching himself. He's taking his heart in hand and he's calling it to attention. He's calling himself to completely and wholly trust the instruments of God's truth. And he is steering his lips and his actions to praise accordingly. Now, notice what this text doesn't say. This is very important. This text doesn't say, help me feel it first. Then I will be able to praise you with my inmost being. I think we fall into that trap all the time. Let me explain. I think we started to believe that we should only praise God if we're feeling it. Otherwise, it's inauthentic or, or it's just forced or we're just going through the motions. And, and while I understand this sentiment, it's simply not true, and that's not what we see in Psalm 103. David isn't faking it. These aren't the words of somebody who's faking it, and David isn't implying that we should fake it either. He's flying with his instruments. He's acting on what he knows to be true instead of what he is or isn't feeling in the present moment. David is committing himself to two things. This will be our frame for the psalm. He's committing himself to ever praise and to never forget. Ever praise and never forget. David is being persistent with his praise in the midst of not feeling it in order to drive these core truths of who God is into the very core of his being. And here's the interesting part, the discipline that I think we miss so often today. He's using praise as a means to provoke his memory. 
So if you can see, he's using his praise to provoke his memory. And then at the end of the psalm, in verses 20 through 22, you're going to see that he then, because of his memory being renewed, it provokes his praise. You see, this cycle here of praise provoking memory and memory provoking praise, I think, is a beautiful reflection of what the discipline of worship looks like in real life. Ever praise and never forget. Ever praise and never forget. So why should we be persistent in our praise? What is it that we need to remember? Well, that is what the remainder of the psalm describes for us. The remainder of this psalm is like a, a collection of snapshots that describe the wonderful benefits offered to those who place their life and their trust in Jesus. But they basically fall into two main categories. And this is what we should never forget. We should never forget what he's done. This is going to be outlined for us in verses 3 through 7. And we should never forget how he loves how he loves us. Never forget what he's done for us and never forget how he loves us, verses 8 through 19. But let me start by saying this. This list of blessings that we're about to go through, and I'm telling you in advance, we're going to go through this fast and furious. So don't say I didn't warn you, okay? It's more than just to inspire mental recall in our life, just so that we can remember the facts these are not Bible flashcards testing your knowledge about who God is and what he has done. It's more like a photo album or, or a memory book. And it's meant to be powerful. It's meant to move us into worship, into praise. And as I mentioned earlier, we can't fully trust or rely on our emotions. But isn't it true that our emotions are part of any healthy relationship? I mean, think about your most powerful memories. Are they emotionless? Are they? I need a response. No, of course not. Your most powerful memories are filled. They're brimming with emotion. The problem is we're all in a different part of the spectrum, right? Some are more emotional than others, but we all should feel emotion in our faith. And if you're here today and you say, I don't feel any emotion in my faith, let me just say to you, and particularly to men, because this is where I see it the most, that is not a description, that is a diagnosis. That is not all that God has for you in his walk, in your walk with him. Don't settle for just knowing the information about the gospel, but not also knowing that this is good news. So now let's turn. Let's look at verses 3 through 7. And may they help us never forget what God has done us. Verse 3, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord, the Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Paul outlines at least six things in these five verses. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a minute and wrestle with each one of these because I don't want to leave a single thing out. And again, I want to warn you, we're going to go fast and it's going to be intense, but it's also going to be wonderful. 
And my purpose in this is to provoke you, is to provoke you to praise. So three, verse 3a, who forgives all your sins? The other day, my wife and I found our oldest son, Josh, kind of crying in one of the corners of our house, and we asked him, buddy, you know, what's going on? What's wrong? And somebody had hurt his feelings. And he responded after telling us who hurt his feelings. We said, sorry. And he goes, when somebody hurts my feelings, it makes me feel so alone. And I was just blown away at the the emotional insight of a a four-and-a-half-year-old because that's exactly what sin does. You see, sin destroys relationship. Sin separates us from God. It separates us from other people. It creates aloneness. And the result of this ultimate separation from God is the eternal isolation chamber of hell, the unbearable torment of complete aloneness. And it is only through forgiveness that this gap can be closed, and we can only be forgiven by the one we've offended, and that is only God. Is it not true that forgiveness is one of the most powerful forces, if not the most powerful force in any relationship, right? You know this if you've ever received it, if you've ever given it, or if you've ever been denied it. You know the power of forgiveness. But when that forgiveness comes from God, the creator of the universe, it becomes the most powerful force in the universe, And that's exactly what God offers us here, a forgiveness that's so complete, so perfect, so powerful, that it's actually stronger than the disease that causes death. And that is exactly what Jesus offers us. May we ever praise and never forget the one who forgives all our sins. Verse 3, the second part, who heals all your diseases. Everywhere Jesus went, He left a wake of healed people behind him. I often find myself wondering what it must have been like to follow Jesus and to see these mass healings of all these people being recovered from diseases or illness or whatever it might be. And if you're sick today and you've read through the Bible, you no doubt know what it means to yearn for healing in your heart. Now let me clarify what this passage is and isn't saying. We do believe that God still heals today. But we don't believe that this passage is saying all disease will be healed today. It's pointing to a future promise of heaven when all diseases will be healed, all sickness and ailments will be removed. But the truth is, no matter how advanced our medical care, our diets, our exercises, each of us is going to face our mortality someday, right? This passage is such a great hope for us when we begin to try to imagine what it will be like on that day when every disease, every sickness, every disability, every ailment is completely wiped away. I have a hard time really feeling that or picturing it. I mean, it just becomes like this abstract thought. But I found this video that I think will give you a really quick glimpse of what it might be like. I can't go into the details because of time here, but essentially there's a new medical procedure where people who are born with a certain kind of deafness who have never been able to hear can have their ears turned on. And what you're about to see is a 40-year-old woman who has never heard a single sound in her life hear for the first time. Both ears. And it might be a bit overwhelming at first. 
I'll say the days of the week again. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How does it sound? Just be careful you're not going to knock them off. Can you hear my voice coming through both sides? Yeah. Yeah. Very high. Very high. It will sound high-pitched at first. Your brain will readjust it for you. Okay. It won't always sound that way. It's all right. It's a big, big, life-changing day today. Can you hear your own voice? Good. Now, can you imagine a time when every disease, every person, will be healed forever? Every disability removed. Every limp relieved. Every pain released. Wow. That is the hope that Paul, as David, is using to drive himself to praise. Remember that one day this will happen to all of us. May we ever praise and never forget the one who will one day heal all of our diseases. Amen? Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns it with love and compassion. When I think of this story, I think of a story in the New Testament about Jairus, a religious leader, his daughter who is sick. And he desperately runs after Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And by the time Jesus gets there, the daughter, his daughter, his precious daughter, has died. So they try to tell Jesus to go away, but he insists that she's only sleeping. They laugh at him, but he pushes through the crowd. He goes into her room. He gets down on a knee. He grabs her dead hand, and he pulls her out of the pit of death. And she breathes again. When I picture this moment, I can hardly imagine the depths of Jarius's sorrow when he walks through that door to find his beloved daughter dead. And I can't imagine either the heights of his joy or the celebration or the yells that must have come out of that house on that day when his daughter was breathed with new life. That's not only an amazing story of something that happened 2,000 years ago. This is important, an important reminder for each of us today of the power of Jesus and that it's greater than the power of death. And that we can have confidence that he can redeem our life from the pit, just as he did with Jairus' daughter and just as he did in his own resurrection. As I said earlier, one day each of us will die. And if we place our faith and trust in Jesus as our forgiver and our leader, he too will reach his hand down into the pit and he will gently pull us into eternal life. We may ever praise, may we ever praise and never forget the one who reaches down in the pit and redeems our life. Verse 5 who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. 
You can't turn on the TV, open a newspaper, if you still do that, uh, read a magazine, look, read something on the internet without being inundated by products, services, and people who are claiming to be the thing, the person, the image, the job, the vacation that will satisfy you. And each of us, each and every one of us, has developed our own unique, terrible habit of chasing after something other than God to give us satisfaction, to satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts, the longings for security, for significance, for satisfaction. The truth is, and I really believe we all know this, I don't need to tell anybody this, you know that nothing in this world is truly going to satisfy you, and yet, out of some kind of deranged hope, we chase after it anyway. Maybe for you it's money, it's your savings account, it's your possessions, it's your identity as a mom or a dad or being successful or, or being a hard worker or it's your image or it's your lifestyle or it's what you drive, a possession. I don't know what it is. But looking for satisfaction in any of these things or in all of these things is just like chasing after the horizon, right? No matter how far I run, when I look up, is the horizon any closer? No. No. The horizon is never closer. And it's only in Jesus that we can find an unending source of security knowing that he is our protector, an unending source of significance knowing we are called to advance his eternal purposes, and an unending source of satisfaction knowing that with his spirit within us we can truly have joy and contentment in any and all situations, regardless of what we have or what we don't have. May we ever praise and never forget the God who satisfies our deepest longings. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Jesus had an eye for the oppressed. Everywhere he went, he could see them. People who were uh, discriminated against because of their race, their disability, their, their illness. You can hardly cross a page in the New Testament without seeing Jesus' heart for the oppressed and his desire for their justice. But this promise, a promise like this, is very similar to the promise of healing in verse 3. We do believe that God works for the justice of those who are oppressed today, but we believe this ultimate fulfillment of justice, this end justice, this last justice is yet to come. But if you're here today, and you are in a situation where you know and experience this injustice and oppression, you know the hope of this promise. You know, like a sick person knows what it means to yearn for healing, you know what it means to yearn for justice. The problem is for those of us who maybe oppression and injustice is not a part of our day-to-day -day life. And that's a problem because we can come to a passage like this and we can just kind of read over it without it having the impact and making the imprint on our heart that it needs to. And when we miss that, we miss the heart of God and we ultimately miss one of the chief reasons why we should praise God. Because he is the only one who can bring this justice. You see, goodness, the goodness of the promises of healing and of justice for the oppressed are sometimes experienced firsthand if you're suffering from an illness or if you're experiencing injustice. But other times, we have to experience them vicariously as we stand in solidarity with those who are suffering. And when we do this, 
we will be able to celebrate and claim these promises and praise God because of them from the bottom of our heart on behalf of our brothers and sisters who are sick or who are suffering. I remember the first time I was confronted with this. My freshman year of college, I uh, was asked to watch this documentary about human trafficking, about sex trafficking, essentially. And I was watching this documentary, and I can't tell you how angry I became. I was furious. I could not believe what I was seeing or hearing. I was so angry about these injustices. And that night, when I went back to my room, I prayed in a way I had never prayed before, weeping on behalf of these women, calling out for justice against these men. And I felt this passage. Have you had a moment like that where you've seen something or experienced something that you say just cannot go on any longer? That is our great hope in Jesus because we know that one day it will not. And one day justice will come. And the wrongs in this world will be made right. Now since that day, I've tried to learn and grow and continue to pray earnestly on behalf of those who are suffering injustice. And so should we when we read a passage like this. May we ever praise and never forget the one who will bring ultimate and final justice to all the oppressed. Verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Every bit of what David has just shared with us in this psalm, every bit of what I have just shared with you about these first few verses, the only reason we know that is for this reason, that God made his ways known to us, that God, out of his incredible mercy, spoke and acted in history on our behalf, despite our continual rejection of him and his ways. May we ever praise and never forget the one who did not abandon us in our hopeless blindness and our stubborn disobedience. This is some pretty good news, right? I was hoping to hear a few more amens this morning, I'm not going to lie. I know I'm a little intense, but I'm trying to get through this. But this is wonderful news. This is incredible news. And in the words of our favorite infomercials, right? But wait, there's more! So ever praise and never forget, never forget what he's done. Verse 3 through 7, how he's forgiven, how he's healed, how he's redeemed, how he's satisfied, how he's justified and revealed. Are you ready to praise yet? Well, there's more. And never forget how he loves us. Verses 8 through 19. Like the previous section we just walked through together, these verses are densely packed, but for our purposes this morning, I want you to think of it as being comprised of two parts, two expressions of how God loves us that are juxtaposed one another to highlight their glory. First, how God loves us infinitely. How God loves us infinitely with complete forgiveness. This is verses 8 through 12. And secondly, how God loves us intimately as a compassionate father. These are verses 13 through 19. So first, how God loves us infinitely with complete forgiveness. Look with me at verses 8 through 12. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. 
For he does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. That's a refrain you'll find throughout Scripture. And we're not treated as our sins deserve. Instead, God shows us his infinite love by forgiving us, by removing from us our sins as far as the east is from the west. This is the gospel. This is the good news. There's no scale. There is no measurement that can possibly quantify the immensity of God's love for us, the completeness of his forgiveness, that he motivated by his great love, a love that expands beyond the furthest star in the furthest universe, came down to us in Jesus. And he did this to take our place, to live the perfect life we are called to live but failed to accomplish, to take upon himself the just punishment for our failure in his death on the cross, and to defeat our ultimate enemy of sin and death through his resurrection so that we could have the hope of eternal life. So now if we put our faith in Jesus and accept the forgiveness he offers us, our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Now this isn't like a forgetting, like we might think of it today, like, uh, um, I'm sorry, Jeff, I'm going to pick on you just because you're right there. Jeff, I, it's not God not saying to you, I'm pretty sure you did some bad stuff in the early 80s, but I can't remember quite what it was, right? That's not what God is saying here. But perhaps God is telling us, that no matter how many miles we might think are between east and west, this infinite distance, you cannot look in two opposite directions at once. You must turn your back on one in order to look in the direction of the other. Or as one writer puts it, God has put our sin and us on two different horizons. He's put us and our sins. So when God looks at our sins, he is not looking at us. And when God looks at us, he is not looking at us at our sins. This is what it means to be justified, and this is precisely the justification that Jesus offers to us. May we ever praise and never forget how he loves us infinitely and with complete forgiveness. How else does God love us? Intimately, as a compassionate father. We read 13 through 19. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. To become God's child is the primary, predominant image in scripture that describes what it means to be accepted and forgiven by God and to be brought into his family as his very child. Unfortunately, this image gets so quickly tainted because so many of us have had terrible fathers. But if that is you, do not turn me out, tune me out this morning. Do not 
tune out this powerful image because it's important for all of us, but it's especially important for you. No father is perfect. And the truth is that God is a truer and better father than even the best earthly father, infinitely better. And the love that is described here is far greater than any of us fathers could even hope to point our kids to. That's why every night when I tuck my boys into bed, I kiss them and I look at them and I say, I love you, mommy loves you, your brother loves you, but Jesus loves you most of all and there's nothing you can do about it. We need to remind ourselves and the people around us that God will welcome us as a loving father. This word that's translated compassion throughout this text is actually much richer, I think, than the way we use the word compassion in English. It's a very emotional word. It's a very intimate word that's described here. And perhaps instead of thinking of a definition, I want you to imagine a picture when you hear the Lord described as compassionate in this text. I want you to imagine a first-time father lying down with an infant on his chest. Maybe you've seen a picture like this. Maybe you're a father here today and you've experienced that moment. What a blessing for you. But that is the kind of intimacy, that is the kind of compassion, that longing to be close, that is what the Father has for us. Now my boys are getting older and I know that my time is limited to have that kind of physical intimacy with my kids. One day they're going to punch me instead of hug me, right? And I know it's coming soon. But I know, I know that my desire for them my compassion for them, my desire to be close to them, to know them, to love them, is never going to go away. And if that is in my heart, as a selfish, I'm a selfish man. I'm a sinful man. I'm a finite man. Imagine how much greater God's love is. Imagine how much greater His compassion is for us. So may we ever praise and never forget what He's done and how He loves us infinitely with complete forgiveness and intimately with as a compassionate father now this isn't a perfect example but i i heard this explained this juxtaposition of god's infinite love and his compassionate love explained to me this way now if you wanted to go see the president you couldn't just go knock on the white house door right and say obama i got some questions open up would that work no of course not you got to have some power. you got to have a, a position. You have to have accomplished a lot in your life to be able to see the president. And not only that, you got to have an appointment. I mean, I don't know how long it takes. A year? Two years? I don't know. Probably takes a long time to get in to see the president. And this is true of everybody, right? Nobody has that kind of access. Well, almost nobody except his kids, except his children. I mean, think about it. Anybody else runs at the president, they get shot. <laughs> Not his kids. They can run to him. In 3 a.m., at 3 a.m., I imagine even the first lady gets her own glass of water. But his kids, if they ask, they will receive He may be the most important, powerful man in the world, but to his children, 
They experience that import. They experience that power. They experience all of that through the lens of his fatherness. And so it is with God. Infinite power, infinite authority, gentled and made accessible for you, his children, through Jesus. In spite of your sins, in spite of your flaws, because he is your father. And because he loves you. He loves you. So may we ever praise and never forget what he's done. How he loves us. Infinitely, with complete forgiveness. And intimately, as a loving loving father may we take these memories and these promises and these truths and may we use them as our flight instruments even when we're not feeling it may our lips overflow with praise this morning may they overflow with praise this week but if it's not in overflow use your praise as a reminder to call out what you know to be true regardless of how you're feeling in this moment And that, by the way, is why it's so important for us to gather in church every week. Why I believe it's so important to be in the Word every day. It's not legalism, but it's like a pilot caught in a storm who can't afford to take your eyes off the instruments. We can't afford, as well, to take our eyes off the instruments of truth in a disorienting world like the one we live in. So let's come this morning and ever praise and never forget what he's done, how he loves us infinitely with complete forgiveness and intimately as a compassionate father. Come and worship you who are far from God and receive the forgiveness and new life he offers you. Come back and worship you who have strayed from your loving father. Come and worship you who know all these things in your head, but your heart, your inmost being is just not aligned with what you know. Come to Jesus, come to him and worship him this morning. Come and worship you, his beloved children of God. And as David completes this psalm, he goes back to praise, and this time he calls all creation to worship with him. May we in our praise right now even draw the angels and creation itself into the chorus of worship. You ready to praise? Let's praise. Let me pray. Father God, You are beyond our ability to imagine or dream. You are so good, so loving. What you have done for us is unbelievable. How you love us expands how we could even think about love. God, help us to be mindful of that, whether we feel it or not. And may the words of our lips right now, this morning, be filled with praise for you and you alone. Amen.